on the property experience, our hosts Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. Welcome to the property experience. I'm Anna Porter, your host. Today we have Lisa Bridget, Dr. Lisa Bridget, I'll get to that in a minute, from Loan Market joining us, and Steve Police from Suburbanite. So I'm going to throw to Lisa first. Welcome. Thank you. Doctor, walk me through that. <laughs> uh, so that's my background. As a previous career, I did a, a PhD in biomechanics, so mechanical physics applied to the human body. Um, and that, you know, kept me occupied for about 13 years and it was a, a good career, but uh, I had my children and realised I needed, you know, time to spend with them and a bit more flexibility in the way I work. So made the career change to broking and, um, and it was a real passion project. It was really hard at the beginning. I'd never you know, run a business or knew anything about finance apart from having my own properties, but I knew that I was pretty good with numbers and I loved property, so I had a crack and it's been a really good career change, you know, a really good move for me. That's exciting. That's a very mm. interesting background because yeah. I, I can't imagine you'd wake up one day and say, hold on a second, <laughs> I studied all these years for this and now I want to be a mortgage broker, but it came to that passion for property that it yeah. pushed you into that yeah. part. Yeah, yeah a lot of people struggle to reconcile that too. Like, how do you spend so long studying? But a lot of the skills were really transferable. You know, a PhD is research-based and lots of numbers. You need those skills and, you know, in, in broking. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, so I'm the head commercial buyers agent for Suburbanite. Um, basically, it's just I hold people's hands through a whole commercial purchase. So find the property, negotiate it, do all the due diligence, put them in touch with brokers like Lisa, um, and then just make sure they get a good quality investment. But not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> okay, I'm, so I'm, we'll talk to you a bit later. I'm just, <laughs> just a simple engineer. Just a simple engineer. Okay, so I'm surrounded by really smart people. I'm going to have to up my game. <laughs> Today, I want to talk to you both about home loans in the digital world. Can borrowers DIY their home loan online or is that a bit of a furphy and will they save money doing it? Um, I, I tend to think it's probably more costly in the long run, but I'm sure you're going to speak to that a little bit through um, throughout this this um, podcast today, Lisa. And I'm also going to grab some ideas off you, uh, Steve, because uh, technology has not just entered the, the mortgage broking and home loan world, it's certainly entered the property space with so much more information available at our fingertips when we buy, when we sell, when we're analysing investments. So I am going to come back to you and get some ideas around how technology has changed that sector when someone is going out into that journey to buy a commercial property. So I'm sure you, you've you seen that evolution throughout your career. But I'm going to start with you, Lisa. So tell me a little bit about the digital world of mortgage broking and what is a digital broker? Because I know this is something you've become quite passionate about and it's really how you've positioned your business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess to define what a digital broker is, I guess it's where we take the client through the process purely through technology and, and online tools. Um, so, for example, you know, the journey with, with my clients is we'll have an initial chat and we'll go through what their plans are and then I'll direct them straight to my online fact find. And the online fact find is a really cool experience. It, it's kind of savvy, savvy and young and, you know, before they know it, they filled in what used to be a 30-page PDF you know, manual entry document online um, and that's real time so I can see that straight away um, and then once they fill that in I'll then send them to another portal where they'll upload all of their supporting documents and they'll get instant feedback if they haven't provided you know what I need um, and then once all that's done then it will come back to my admin he'll vet it all and then I'll uh, you know figure out the strategy um, in terms of face-to-face 
luckily I established myself as a, a digital broker before COVID and that was you know, <laughs> good really move. lucky. Good really move. Because <laughs> I was good to go. I had eSign ready to go. I was very good, you know, at using Zoom and Google Meet and whatever portals I needed to use. Um, and so my clients were used to that. And clients then gravitated to me during COVID, um, which ended up being my busiest time in the business because, I, you know, I was good to go. So we also do the video ID now. And what's happened uh, to my, I guess, luck and, and benefit is all of the lenders have come on board. So they've had to very rapidly change their policies to facilitate, you know, this new digital way of doing things. Um so, yeah, it, it's all about technology and making the process efficient. Um, I find a lot of my high net worth clients just don't have time from nine to five to either meet or fill in their information. You know, they can now grab a glass of wine and at 11 o'clock at night when they're, you know, doing their life admin and adulting. 11 o'clock in the morning during COVID, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's my wake-up time during COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's when they would, you know, get it done and then I wake up in the morning and the information's there. So it's, it's all about efficiencies. So to be really clear on this for our listeners, mm. A digital broker is not the same as a DIY online mm, home loan. Very big correct? difference. Correct. So yeah. explain the difference to me. Mm. So I guess with the, the DIY stuff, uh, what's happened is, you know, as you mentioned with the property field, there's a whole plethora of information, you know, out there online about uh, you can get this rate and go with this lender and it's, you know, it's seamless and we'll do it online. But what happens is, those sorts of ones are very, if you like, vanilla. So, you know, they're suited to a type of client that is PAYG, has, you know, no other sort of liabilities, nothing too fancy, and they just want to get a really low rate. And they'll get enticed. There'll be a, a low rate available. But what happens is those sorts of lenders uh, will very quickly hike those rates. So what happens is whilst it's enticing at the beginning, they can move, you know, without the RBA dictating that they move, all lenders can. So they'll increase that rate fairly quickly and before you know it, that, you know, borrower is, is really upset, they've got a really crappy rate and there's no one to talk to. There's no one to hold their hand. They don't have anybody who understands the field. They'll have... Um, quasi kind of online project managers if you like who will you know manage the oh yes I can see you're on this rate but they can't do anything about it and that's that's the key difference mm. you know with coming to a broker whilst we do it digitally we're guiding them we're thinking of a strategy we're tailoring solutions and we've got the long game in mind you know this is how we're going to solve this problem now to get you in a property this is how we're going to get you into the next one we're going to do an interest only repayment for example so that you can save a little bit more money and then we can use that as a deposit for the next property so there's more strategy in terms of the upfront and then there's guidance along the way if there's any issue with the loan you know the rate goes up we can negotiate for them and get them a better rate. If they don't understand a statement, give us a call, we'll take you through it. So it's that hand-holding, it's that strategy, and it's making sure that they're guided through the whole process when they use a digital broker as opposed to just having a crack online on their own. Yeah, we've seen it fall apart from our experience when mm. we've helped investors buy a property They've done the DIY online home loan, which we've forewarned them about the challenges, and then yeah. we find the property, and it's taken weeks and weeks, even into months, for them to get the finance from pre-approval to unconditional because there's no one there to drive it, no one there to push it. They don't know what information to provide, when, how, why. Exactly. And then we miss out on deals over and over because we can't yeah. say to the agent, look, just hang tight for two months. We'll, yes. get, we'll get around to yes. it. And we can't push yeah. it either. Yeah. So then miss out right, on it again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the current climate is more difficult in terms of lending. Uh, the timelines are longer. Um, lenders are very busy. But as a broker, we 
we have relationships mm. and we have times where we can just really call on those relationships and escalate something where, you know, it's in dire straits and we really need to get it done. Yeah. DIY online, as you said, can't happen. It's, 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 it's worth noting that a broker will still be able to get that DIY rate. Yeah. So, so yeah. why not go to someone who's actually going to do all the work for you and provide you with some other options as well and then still get that rate? Yeah. Exactly. I, when they first started sort of coming out, we used to call them the, the doctors and the teachers loans because, you know, you have to really fit this perfect yeah. tick box to be able to get it. And the doctors and the teachers are, are the sort of, you know, in theory what should meet that criteria. But now even teachers, I meet so many teachers that they're on casual or their TAFE teachers do a lot of contract or casual part-time and those don't even tick the boxes anymore for this yeah. online sort of world. So yeah. you could end up, you know, really wasting a lot of time trying to figure out if you meet the criteria to Absolutely. have to go back to a broker anyway. Yeah, and doctors alike, you know, a lot of them now are self-employed. Yeah. And with self-employment comes a lot of documentation that's required and a lot of doctors don't have the time to care or understand their financials. So it's a challenge for them too now. Yeah, absolutely. So technology has changed both in the lending sector, in the property sector, Steve, as you, as I mentioned before, you would have seen a lot of this. Um, is this a win, and I'm going to start with you, Steve, is this a win for people when they're trying to go out and buy an investment property or start their investment journey, or is it now just too much information, or are they not accessing the right information? Like, What are people doing with all this technology at their fingertips? You're probably right. Um, there's probably too much information out there, more and more probably misinformation. So mm -hmm. people go in there, they just don't know what, what's truth, what's not. Um, I just always just break it down to bare numbers and then verify the numbers and make a decision from there. Um, but there's a thousand strategies, types of locations, types of plans to, to build a portfolio. So um, you've got to speak to the right people or just do the work yourself. And it's not easy. Like It took me three years before I bought my first property. Yeah. And I mean, we... People just say, to us, how do you get, you know, what this um, property sold for and you get, you've got the lease and you've broken down what the rents are, you know, how do you get this sale price, how do you get that? And I say to them, well, we pay for that information. Like as professionals, I spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on our databases to know what DAs are being approved, what government projects, if you're going to have a main road suddenly going out the front of the property, uh, you know, flood zones, things like that. So there is some free information out there, but the most accurate and reliable information usually costs a fair bit of money. It's quite expensive. And the average Joe just doesn't have access to that. They get the free stuff, which can be tainted with misinformation or it's not checked properly. It just won't be complete as well. They'll go on realestate.com, a real commercial, and find two or three previous sales, not realising you can go on CoreLogic, for instance, and get every single sale. Yeah, and the one they get might be the one, the only one the agent posted because it was a record sale that had unusual circumstances, and that's the one the agent wants to brag about. The other eight that show a different value level that weren't as strong they're not, they're not advertising those. Yeah. <laughs> they're putting them out the back. Yeah. But we get that information. And, you know, buying leases and things, that costs money and you've got to have access to the right sort of platforms of information. Uh, what about the broking space? Has this really changed how lending um, rolls out? Is this a win for, for, you know, people getting a home loan or is it now just overcomplicating it and making it really hard for, you know, 70-year-old Betty who doesn't like to get online? Yeah, um, I'm finding more and more people are, are digitally savvy. So I'm, I'm not seeing that as a roadblock. Um, and maybe because I, I guide my clients through that journey um, and I, I help them understand step by step what they need to do, um, it's very rare that I get someone who won't conform with, with doing it in the, in the digital way. So I think that is kind of phasing out. When it first sort of came in, there were some that were a little off put by it, but it's a definite win. It's a, a win for borrowers. It's a win for lenders. It's a win for brokers. Brokers don't have to waste time, you know, going to face-to-face -face appointments, filling in long documents, re-entering data, and we can spend time doing the strategy and the solutions and the important stuff. Borrowers equally, you know, they don't have to fill in these long documents. They can enter it straight online and they know it's coming straight to the broker. They don't have to try and find a time amongst, you know, 
taking their kids to hobbies and finishing work and balancing home duties and relationships and all the rest of it uh, with meeting face-to-face. They can just simply do that when it's convenient for them, you know, and it, and it comes to us. The excess information is a problem, um, but what our industry is doing really well is we're promoting the, the service that brokers can offer. So people more and more are starting to understand. I think we're at about 59% of the market now of home loans are going through brokers and that's a, an increasing number. So it's all about, I guess, the industry getting that information out and, and communicating to the general public what value we can offer. And, and people are, you know, reading that information, they're absorbing it and more and more people are, you know, using a broker as a result. So I think think if people are able to wade through the information uh yeah they should be able to see the advantages and, and benefit from this whole digital piece that's kind of exploding yeah people are even stopping going into banks now like a lot of the, like, yeah. my old clients they'd go into their local branch and then yeah. speak to the bank manager really and they get their loan that way they're not generally doing that anymore anyway so yeah. so why if you're going to pick up the phone why yeah. not just go online yeah and some will have a crack and then they'll very quickly realize oh my god i banked with you know cba is an example for 20 years and they're not even going to try and do my loan or they're not even going to try and get me a better rate and more and more people are, are realizing that equally i think to your industry steve you know people are going out there and having a crack at, at trying to find a property and they're just getting overwhelmed and they end up having this pre-approval that it almost expires and then they come back and they say actually yeah can i have a property advocate or a buyer's agent or someone help me you know source this uh, property so people are learning slowly so old school new school old school would be what you know when we deal with agents very much face-to-face. It always makes me laugh when I watch, you know, a million-dollar listing and the agent has lunch with the buyer and the seller and everyone's sitting around the table all looking very fancy, signing contracts and negotiating face-to-face. That never happens in real life. (laughs) That is just for TV. So we've got this new school way of dealing with agents and, you know, we're talking about technology like your realestate.coms and domain.coms pull in all this data, all this information. It's at your fingertips. Is there still something to be said for some of the old school approaches, you know, ringing the agents, building the relationships, spending the time with them? Is everything going to be online or is there sometimes stuff that happens offline, Steve? No, so with commercial, definitely not. So it's a unregulated space. So things like leases, that doesn't have to be recorded online for what the property got rented out for. So they're having good relationships with property managers in the area. They'll tell you what things rent out for, how long things were vacant for. You can try to find it online, like you can look at how long they had a sales campaign for. But that doesn't actually tell you when they started exactly and when they got someone in. Um, so these relationships are still important with people on the ground. If you're buying something like a retail, you need to know what's going on with foot traffic. Mm. So what times of day are busy and things like that. Something like a warehouse, yeah, you can probably get a few more numbers. But again, you still have to verify them because if they're not if they're not regulated, who, who knows what the, if the agent's lying to you or what's going on. Yeah. I know you've mentioned to me that a lot of the properties you buy in the commercial sector are off-market as well. They haven't even hit real estate or domain. Is that purely just because that's how that sector works and relationships are still really high priority there? It, it is, and I shouldn't bad enough too many real estate agents, but they're obviously going to do the path of least resistance. And if, <laughs> if they're getting a good, good fair... Diplomatic. If they're getting a good fair price and they can send it to a buyer's agent who they know their, their buyer is ready, they're pre-approved, they've got the money... They've got a professional knows the right questions to ask. That's way easier for them than filtering 100, 100 offers online that probably aren't serious. Yeah, and then look, we, we can represent a lot of buyers as well. It's not like they're just dealing with one person. They're dealing with a, a market segment potentially. Um, okay, that's really interesting. And, and something you mentioned about um, the information available and not available, 
For example, vacancy rates. So if I'm buying a residential property, and I do more residential than commercial, so I can go online and find various resources that tells me what the vacancy rate is percentage-wise. I, I would caution that that's still a starting point. For example, the vacancy rates in Brisbane are low, but what we see is everything works on Brisbane time. So even that might be under 2%, and in Adelaide it's under 2%, but in Adelaide under 2% means you have a tenant week one, there's a bidding war for your tenant and 35 people lined up out the front at the first open. You'll have them signed and moved in the next weekend. Brisbane could have a suburb with the same vacancy rate, but things are on Brisbane time. So you'll get the tenants that the agents don't do showings on weekends for starters. So you get the tenants trying to work out what day of the week they can get off work. So it'll take two weeks just to get someone to look at it. Then they'll apply. They'll take a week to send their application back. Then it'll take a week for the references to call back the managing agent. Then it'll take another week to draft up the document. So even though they've put down that they might have had an application and that it was technically leased at X day, Brisbane time means it could take four or five weeks for the same outcome, oh. whereas in Adelaide it'll take one to two weeks for the same outcome. And when you're talking maybe five or $600 a week rent, that's a bit of money that you could lose as an investor. So the information online is there. Sometimes it's not worth as much as applying it to real-life scenarios and boots on the ground. Mm. Commercial's different again. So how do you find out, if I'm an investor, how do I find out what the vacancy rates are? You touched on that. Do I find this online is this available online is there a percentage i just look up on on a database or again yeah. is that something else yeah you can get some general stats so if you're looking say in the industrial space they'll give you a capital city vacancy rate but that means absolutely nothing with commercial because different size commercials will have different vacancy rates so if you're buying an 80 square meter warehouse that might only have a vacancy period of one month because there's a lot of sole traders willing to jump in on that space but you'll only get a one-year lease out of them and then in a year's time they may not be there Whereas something like a 2,000 square metre warehouse, that you'll get a larger tenant, but they're not, there's not a 1,000 big businesses ready to jump on your warehouse. So that may be six to 12 months vacancy, but you'll get a five-year lease out of them. So it's, it just depends on what the market is demanding at the time. And then there's different, so different floor spaces will have different vacancy rates, but then there'll also be different mixes. So you might have a warehouse with 50% floor space and 50% office space. That might be much more demand than 100% floor space for warehouse. So... It's going to be case by case and that you can never have a stat for it. It's just not going to happen because they're so varied. Um, much like retail. So if you're buying an average Joe's barbershop in suburbia, um, that will have a different vacancy rate if it's on the main street versus the end of the main street versus one street back. Like the one street back might be two or three year vacancy. The one on the main street might be three months. Yeah. So with commercial, I always hone in this. It's case by case. You need to look at exactly what you're buying how strong the business is, how strong the area is, what are similar properties. It's not like where you'll get a ballpark figure with a residential where a three-bedroom will be on par with another three-bedroom if they're similar quality, um, commercial completely different, much so in the retail space. So what I'm hearing is there's these amazing technologies and information available to us that can empower us, save us time, especially in the lending space, empower us with information. But again, it still needs to be managed by a professional or you can end up taking more time finding the wrong loan and having to double back. We can take more time finding the wrong information and we put down a path that's not suitable. Um, and I think that's really powerful for people to know that. The information's there, but it can still be misinterpreted, misused. You know, a DIY loan compared to a broker using those technologies to benefit you as opposed to you just flapping around online yourself. Yeah. Very different. Exactly. I want to drill into something with you, Lisa. So we touched on the going to the bank and standing in line because mm -hmm. everyone wants to do that on Tuesday morning <laughs> versus a DIY home loan versus actually getting a, a, a broker to use these digital platforms to save you time and energy. Now, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a borrower. I'm going to refinance or I'm going to buy a property. I have these three options. Mm -hmm. It's go see the bank manager that I might have known for years. Mm -hmm. 
but I do have to stand in line. It's go see a digital broker versus DIY online. What are the pros and cons to those in a nutshell? Why would I go to you as opposed to, to seeing my bank manager who I might have banked with for 20 years? Yeah, yeah, good question. And it's one that I think a lot of people may not know the answer to. Uh, it comes down to a couple of things. The first one is time. You know, if you look at lining up at the bank, you're, you're wasting a lot of time. The second thing with the bank is you're going to be restricted purely to that bank's policy. Every bank has a niche and every bank has a niche that has a moving target depending on their needs at the time. Banks have uh, what's called a, a lending book and they need to have that balanced. So every now and then they'll expose themselves to more interest-only loans because they need a little bit more of those so they'll do more enticing rates there and then they might go over to owner-oc uh, because they need to you know, get a lot more on, the, on their loan book in that space. So what happens there is if you go to, again, I'll just use CBA as an example, at a particular point in time and they need interest-only loans and you're an owner occupier, chances are you're going to get a pretty poor rate and you're going to be limited to whatever their policies are. Uh, if you're self-employed, if you have to do a low doc, for example, they can't help you. So it's limiting going to the bank. If you do DIY, same thing. You're going to be limited by the few that are on there and as we've articulated before, um, they have very limited policies as well and they're more suited to the very, you know, basic, very easy, uh, very streamlined type of client that's presenting. If you go to a broker, the broker knows the policies of all of the banks, mm -hmm. including those ones that may even appear online as DIY. DIY. And we then also are able to tailor a solution based on what is presented to us. So if a client comes to me with a certain scenario in my head, already I know, okay, that takes out all of those lenders, I'm restricted to these lenders. I'll dig a bit more, look at their financials, look at a little bit more information, and it may turn out only three lenders are going to be able to solve their problem. I know that. It's my job to stay on top of policy, to research, to speak to all the BDMs at the different banks, and that's probably what the clients don't see is all the work that we do in the background to make sure when they call us, we've got our finger on the pulse we know exactly how to steer them and, and to solve their problem, not only getting a good rate, but getting a solution that is, is perfect for their needs. Even just for in the area, I used to be a property valuer for 10 years before yeah. I went into the investment side and did bank work for a period. Um, and, you know, you'd have the brokers that would just reach out and ring you and say, look, we've got a client where we have to get this valuation done really quickly. Can you get out there this afternoon? Can you turn the report around today? Things like that where you need to get things done faster because that's an important part of the process. Or if the valuation isn't at a number that, that you think is reasonable, you can then go back and discuss with the valuer and look at whether there's any increase yeah. to be had. Or we, know, we see ones where they, they know they can't get access because the tenants are away, but you still need the job done, you know, before they get back in three weeks. Yep. So you might preference a lender that would do a desktop valuation or a curbside, exactly. things like that. Like exactly. Just those little nuances. Yeah, yeah. That's the difference between a good broker and a bad broker as well. Yeah. They'll, they'll know all those nuances yeah. and the policies and they'll start, they won't just give you a rate and say, here's what I got you. They'll, they'll tell you why yeah, they're choosing that, that deal. Exactly. And like you said, in the future, planning for the next property. And a really important point that needs to be raised, especially today, is best interest duty. This is new legislation that's coming in and what that's all about is making brokers accountable for the information that they provide you know, to their clients. So we have to validate every decision we make. We have to be very upfront about you know, comms we're getting paid and all of the rest of it. Um, so the client is very much assured that we're acting in their best interest because we're being watched just the whole broking industry, not because we're necessarily doing something wrong, but they just want to protect consumers more. The interesting thing there is the bank's do not fall under best interest duty. They don't actually have to act in the client's best interest. So that's You mean the really richest companies in the country don't have to look up? Yeah, it's <laughs> odd. That's really odd. You might have heard me being sarcastic. <laughs> um, so 
2021, mm. new year, we've had an interesting year, been and gone, 2020. What do you think some of the biggest challenges will be for borrowers and, and property buyers this year coming up? Yeah, I think aside from, you know, the obvious where people's wealth and, and debt levels have really taken a hit in, in various different directions uh, so that they could survive the COVID pandemic, what's what people probably need to reconcile and be aware and prepared about is if they went on JobKeeper or if they had a repayment pause on, on their home loan, uh, they may need to now wait six months before another lender is going to look at them. You know, that's viewed not necessarily as a red flag, but the lenders are very cautious now. With any kind of changes that happen during COVID, uh, they're, they're really going to take a step back from anyone who, who falls into, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, I guess category where they had to take some sort of handout or some sort of help to get them through the pandemic. Pandemic. I found that really interesting. They were talking about when these payment pauses came in, how, mm. um, the, you know, the, the, I think it was the banking ombudsman might have come out and said it won't go on your credit file. Mm. Okay, it won't go on your credit file, yeah. but it doesn't mean that credit won't see it on your Absolutely. file and there's a disclosure there and they won't consider it as part of the assessment. Yeah. It's just not going to follow you around on your credit file. But yeah. let's be honest, credit are looking at that. They absolutely are. And as a broker and, and a lot of the good brokers, we sat with our clients and we tried to figure out a way to, to ride the wave without necessarily going on a repayment pause. So what we did for a lot of our clients is negotiate a fixed rate where it was much lower, it was manageable, they knew exactly what they would be paying and, you know, that that put them in a better position or we looked at doing interest-only repayments. You know, for the first time in history, lenders were open to the idea of going from a principal and interest repayment to an interest-only repayment without having to provide a whole new application. Mm -hmm. So this was a nice window to really save people some money for a year, ride the wave and then come out the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, I want to ask you a slightly different version of this question because I've asked this question before, so I'm going I'm to change it up just to keep things interesting. I hope you didn't have an answer prepared. Um, so 2021 is going to be the year where the payment pauses are coming off. People are going to have to start repaying their home loans. Um, tenants in the commercial sector are probably going to have to start making sure they come out of those rental um, pause periods as well. So there's going to be some real shift. What do you think that's going to look like for the property market when this all starts to happen this year? It's going to come down to what sector you're looking at. Um, like we've mentioned before, industrial is going to be quite strong, um, but the office space and the retail is going to have some hard times. Um, and then owners of those properties are going to have some hard times for the next year or two. Um, and then that's more importantly, that's when you have to speak with the brokers and find out what's the best payment plan to survive this period because it's not going to be two or three months, but I think we're talking six to 24 months, depending on where you are, where your property is, what your lending capacity is. So, yeah, I think some investors have been through tough times. Do you think there'll be some uh, sort of forced sale scenarios, distressed sale scenarios coming up? There, there will, but I always point out to people when there's a distressed sale, um, there's other buyers now. It's not just no, no one's going to hand you a property 100 grand below market value because you're a nice person. So it's going to be the market rate. So even if it's a distressed sale, you're just buying it at a cheaper rate because that's the going rate. So you're not saving money. You're just buying it cheaper than it was yesterday. Yeah, I used to do a lot of work on the mortgagee and possession portfolios for a lot of lenders as a valuer, and um, that was during the GFC. So there was downturn in the market. The problem comes in when your mortgage is higher than the value of your property. That's when it gets quite quite concerning, and there aren't as many buyers out there because lending was challenging, the economy was challenging. You're right, when the market's going up, if there's equity, people get out, they take that equity, they make a decision. Um, if there is other buyers and there's buoyancy and strength in the market, which is, again, why when people invest or buy a property, they should consider what markets are strong and what markets could potentially fall apart. You know, outlying markets can be second tier. Um, you, if you've got a lineup of buyers, you'll achieve market value for it. Um, and I also have a big belief. There's some firms that build their 
philosophy around, you know, um, chasing down distressed sales, and I call it ambulance chasing. I'm not going to sugarcoat my opinion on this. I think having been in property for nearly 20 years, yes, I'm that old, (laughs) nearly 20 years in Australia, you can actually make money off real estate in Australia and be a good human, not profit off someone else's misery. Mm. Call me crazy, Mm. but it's actually that simple. So, But then again, I've gone in behind the sheriff and seen families ripped out of their homes. So Mm. not really into the ambulance chasing side of it. Yeah. I find it weird with clients as well. They always seem to want a distressed sale, but in their head they see that as they're buying well because mm. it's a distressed sale. But I always point out that has nothing to do with market rate or what other things are sold for. The circumstances shouldn't affect the outcome of what you're buying. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, property strategies, you would have seen a lot of them. You've probably maybe mm. done some of them yourself. Um, yeah. What sort of strategies do you think work well? Do you like the rent vesting, the flipping, buying and holding? Is there another strategy that you think is a really good way to approach property at the moment? Yeah, it's an interesting question and I think it really depends on the, on the circumstances of the person who's in front of you. Um, that could be based on, you know, their age, the type of employment they have, where they're at in terms of being close to retirement and, and so on. Um, and that's why I like to work with a team of you know, buyers, agents, accountants, financial planners, and we inform those sorts of strategies because I think there's value in, in all of them depending on your life stage. Um for rent vesting, that's one I advocate quite a bit. I do that myself um, and I feel like it's a, it's a good step to take through, you know, a good chunk of your professional life. Um, when people are getting closer and are building a lot more wealth, um, it, it may then be the time to start looking at buying that owner-oc property and using the equity that you've built up in those those uh, investment properties to then purchase that property. But I don't think it's something you need to rush into. Um, but it takes different types of personalities to be comfortable with rent vesting. Um, a lot of people purchase emotionally and when they do, you know, they just want to purchase an owner-occupied because they want it to be theirs and want to be proud and, and I understand that sentiment and I've always supported if that's, you know, the angle someone wants to go down. For me, of course, I'm a numbers person and when I look at the numbers, you know, the rent vesting for that type of, of cohort really, really does stand out. Buying and holding is always going to be a good strategy with property. You know, at the moment with stamp duty, you invest so much when you first purchase, it's not great, you know, to be flipping really quickly unless there's a huge profit to be made. Yeah. Um, so I tend to Stamp like, duty and that just erodes it so quickly, doesn't it? It does, it does. It, it can also depend where you want to live. Yeah, Obviously, someone sure. in Adelaide with different gross drivers to Sydney versus Bondi and Northern Beaches, they're going to have different, the, the likelihood that that's going to be the best property in all of Australia pretty slim. Mm. But like you said, if it's a mum and dad client and they're going to buy their family home and that's going to be it for the next 20 years, yeah. then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, of course, you can make money. You can buy a better investment elsewhere and then use that equity to buy another home in the future. Yeah. But again, it's, it's case by case. Yeah. Steve, yeah. tell me a strategy that doesn't work in your opinion. I actually find the, the, the buy and flip is not working. The, this, the numbers don't work anymore. There's, there's too many people doing it. Um, it's very, very hard to make that work. Like buying a property a hundred grand cheaper and then putting 30, 40 grand into it to sell it for maybe 50, 60 grand more. By the time you take up stamp duty and the tax you're going to pay and things like that, the, the numbers just don't work anymore. You can't buy properties hundreds of thousands of dollars cheaper than the going rate. Yeah, certainly not, not in Australia with our current stamp duty system. I think if we get the stamp duty reforms they're talking about, that could reshape that sector quite quite interestingly because then those big chunky, co- chunky costs of stamp will be um, annualised and then it might be a little bit more profitable. It's also going to depend what that does to the market. If mm. that saves you 30, 40 grand stamp duty, but it pushes the price up 30, 40 million dollars, <laughs> then the outcome doesn't change. Oh, I've got a government incentive. That's really <laughs> what happens, isn't it? All right, I think that's a wrap for us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa and Steve. It's been Pleasure. fantastic having you. Uh, another, another episode of The Property Experience. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.